And as I was gasping for breath and trying to ask God to help me, all of a sudden I look at the end of my bed and there is my father sitting on the bed with his arms folded and he in this white shirt. I can describe it in detail and the blue baby blue cardigan with the little leather buttons and his arms folded. And he said, Molly, you're all right now. I'm here. You're safe. You're okay. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado, and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound, and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of sacred journeys, spirit encounters, near-death experiences, angels, mysteries, marvels, and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary people reveal their extraordinary encounters. I acknowledge the Darawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land of Sutherland Shire in Australia, where I live and record Spirit Sisters, and I recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and community. I pay respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. It feels a little late to be wishing you a happy new year, but I really do hope that 2022 has started on a positive note for you and your loved ones. I've taken an extended break, as no doubt you've noticed. I've put all commitments on pause for the month of January as I really just needed to hit refresh on life. I'm back now and I have some fascinating guests to introduce you to in the coming months. Interviews I've already recorded as well as conversations that are booked and I'm excited about, including some fresh Australian voices. Now to today's episode. My guest is Marielle Ford-Clark, who lives in the gorgeous historic harbour city of Galway, Ireland. And yes, I'm already planning my trip. Marielle has dedicated her life to exploring the mystery of life and death and is the author of the book, Where After? Where Do Our Loved Ones Go After They Die? She's also a near-death experiencer and a lifelong experiencer of the spirit world. In our conversation, you'll hear about the whirlpool of beautiful light, they're Marielle's words, that Marielle was absorbed into during her 1992 NDE, as well as her mystical encounters with Mother Mary and the life-affirming after-death contact from her father. There are some very moving moments there. We also discuss her healing journey through cancer, the living power of the words we speak, Marielle's calling as a spirit midwife, I love that term, assisting people who are close to passing. She also tells us about her passion to help children navigate grief and so much more. I hope you'll be captivated until the end when Marielle closes with a very beautiful blessing for you to take into your day or evening. A warning before we start, this episode references suicide. If this is upsetting, please contact Lifeline in Australia on 13 11 14 or the appropriate services in your country. Enjoy my conversation with Marielle Ford-Clark. Hello, Marielle, and welcome to Spirit Sisters. Well, good morning, Karina, and a very beautiful 
welcome to you all in uh, in Australia from a very very windy and wet Irish coast of Ireland this morning. Oh well, that does sound very evocative and atmospheric, and I wish I was there right now with a mug of hot chocolate. <laughs> so lovely to speak with you, Marielle, and we have got so much to talk about. Your story is absolutely amazing. I've read your book, Where After. I'll be talking about it throughout the interview and just bringing up some bits and pieces about um, segments from the book that caught my eye. So I thought, Marielle, the best... It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. and humble for me. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I thought that a good place to to begin, and I'm not going to be original here, but I thought let's begin with your near-death experience in 1992. And the reason I think that's the best starting point, let me know if you agree, is because it was the launching point for all of your investigations, all of your research, all of your spiritual discoveries that ensued. Do you agree? Is that a good place to start? Uh, absolutely. We can start there in, and you know, the angels will guide us to and fro wherever we're meant to be after that. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So please do take us back to 1992 and your near-death experience. Well, in 1992, I was diagnosed with a very advanced form of cervical cancer. And it it didn't bother me, Karina. I wasn't unhappy about it. I was nearly relieved that there was something wrong with me because going back then in Ireland, we didn't have divorce and we were just about initiating some steps for separation, some separation laws. And I was very, very unhappy. I was living in a very dysfunctional, loveless marriage. And being told that I had cervical cancer, really, it was like, oh, my God, this is great. I can die now in peace. Because you didn't tell anybody you were unhappy because there was no way out. The old cliche, I suppose, Karina, for Ireland was you made your bed, you better lie on it. So everything was kept very hushed and secret. And that is why it is great now that people can speak openly about in unhappy marriages and that there is there is actually ways out of that type of relationship. But going back, being told that I had advanced cervical cancer, you know, I went into my surgery like all people, signed my consent form. But halfway through the surgery, because it was very extensive and um, I... I died and I floated out of my body and I remember just looking down, feeling for the first time in years, feeling so, so peaceful and so happy. And I, I knew the person I was looking down at was myself and I was wondering, what's all the fuss about? And they were re- trying to resuscitate me and there was panic going on around my bed and I was... I, I, I was trying to tell them there's no need. I'm fine. Leave me alone. I'm very happy here. And then I remember being pulled into this. I call it, a, it wasn't a tunnel for me, Karina. It was like a whirlpool of beautiful light. And I was sucked right into the center of it. And there it was. I now can call it heaven. It was, I was held in this beautiful God presence god consciousness i knew it was god it was peaceful the music i heard karina was so 
beautiful. It has never left my soul memory. Never, never, and never will. And then I just, and I remember, I was floating in this beautiful energy of peace. I had no fear. I had no anxiety. I had no pain. I was just in bliss. And then I remember being pulled further into this beautiful, it was like a golden mist and being pulled right into that. But as I got there, a hand, a hand came out through this golden mist and it was like a stop sign to say, stop, you can't come any further. But I remember just being embodied and imbued with pure serenity. And that feeling of love that that etched every part of my body, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, was so profound that it was like I was in this place of heaven, which it now is. But then I remember being catapulted like back into my body. And I hear them saying, she's back. We've got her back. So. It was about two days later, two or three days later, when the surgeon came to me, when I was obviously copus mentis at this stage. And he said to me, you know, Marielle, he said, you're one lucky girl, he says, to have survived this. And I looked at him as if to say, why the hell didn't you just leave me where I was? You know, he said, you were bleeding outward. I was hemorrhaging outwards. And no matter how much blood they infused into my body, it kept expelling it. So he said, somebody must have been minding you in a higher power, somebody. And ironically enough, Karina, my father, whom I was exceptionally close to, had died the year before. And I have no doubt it was him. And I know it was him because three months later, Karina, I, I still had to come back to the dysfunction, the loveless marriage. So three months later, I intended to end my life. I just couldn't live with the pain. I needed to go back to feel that love, that peace. So at about two o'clock in the morning, I took my hus my ex-husband's keys up the car and I had intended to drive my car or his car into the Docklands. And that's in our city and there is no that time there was no protective barriers around the Docklands. Now there is, but that time no. And there was a massive bridge that the train runs over. So I had intended to go under the bridge with, with the car, then put my foot on the accelerator, close my eyes and into the docks. But as I was just about to go out the door, the same hand that I had seen months earlier in my death experience, presented itself but this time my father's face lit up the entire doorway and the same hand comes out Karina and he he said to me Malia could you keep your powder dry that was his way of stopping me from doing the most dreadful thing which was to end my life but that was the darkest night of my soul Karina and I had three babies down in their little beds and mm -hmm. but I I was in such despair such hopelessness all I saw at that stage was darkness but there is three hours of that night that I have no memory of I was it was about five-ish five past five in the morning when I was when I started to defrost and come round 
and I was shaking. My I was frozen. My teeth were gnashing against each other. And then I suddenly realized the reality. Oh, my God, I was going to end my life hours earlier. So that was my step. The next day I went to a solicitor. The next day started the process of separation and ultimately six and a half years later divorce. But that, that was the journey. And then I wondered, why did I survive? Why did I not just die? But it's now, only now in 2021, Karina, that I realize what my soul purpose is and my God purpose. And I, and I keep saying to my guides when I'm communicating all the time, you took your time, really. You know, how, how long does it take to grow, to grow a vegetable? How long does it take to put a bulb in the ground and it grow in season? So I have been reassured by my guides. These were the stepping stones. And every healing modality, everything I studied, every course I undertook, they were all stepping stones. And I was not ready until now. And that is how, in 2018, the where after came about because I had a major ski accident on a mountain in Spain and um, I was invalided for about five months. I could not walk, couldn't move, wasn't able to do anything. And my guides came and showed me the outline of where after and what was to go into it. And the fact, Karina, that I have a science background and not alone have I a science background, but my grandmother in Ireland was extremely psychic, Karina. And that time, you did not speak about your gifts. They were uh, very much kept in secret for fear of being ostracized, which did happen, of course. Yes. So when people would come to my mother for a reading, it was always in the back door. So I saw her and her gifts. My brother, my my my. Her son was a seventh son of a seventh son, which is extremely psychic and gifted as well. And my brother was extremely psychic, who transitioned in 2002, who preempted his own death. So I was born into this psychic family, but uh, I wasn't encouraged to uh, cultivate it. My grandmother was, as I said, my idol at that stage. I spoke to angels. I saw them. I communicated with higher beings of light. I thought everybody did. It didn't, I didn't realize until years later that no, not everybody can communicate with the higher realm. And then to kind of add fuel to the fire, Karina, to defy science, I went and studied science and became a serologist, which was a total contradiction to my creative and my psychic gifts. So I suppose that's how it, the balance is there, Karina, in relation yes. to, you know, the scientific mind and the spirit mind. Yes. So the um, left and right hemispheres. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's how my, in a very long winded <laughs> effort, that's how it began. Karina. Well, sorry. Not at all. Please don't apologize. I've been taking notes as you're talking. And then, of course, everything begins to unfold. More begins to unfold from there on. So I just mm -hmm. want to backtrack a little bit and uh, just ask you about some some of the features of your beautiful near-death experience, which you described so eloquently. You know, it's so lovely to hear this, and I think it's why I'm, you know, in a sense addicted to the near-death experience, because when the experiencer, when you talk, Marielle, about the light and the golden embracing love, it's just 
a blissful transmission that you offer us and it's like we're there. And, well, I shouldn't talk for everybody, for me, anybody, anyway, it is as if I'm there with you. For that little moment, it's like a little taste of home. And I so love mm-hmm. that, how you've, how you've shared that. So I wanted to ask you a bit more. You mentioned the beautiful music and this is something that I have heard in accounts, in other accounts. Is there any mm-hmm. earthly music that could compare to what you heard mm-hmm. or even in the slightest little, little aspect? To be honest, Karina, I have never, never heard such divine, sacred music since. And while I meditate and... I have really worked with a lot of the Tibetan sound sound music, the singing bowls. I haven't heard anything to compare. And I was blessed in the sense, Karina, that I heard music. I heard this beautiful, profound music. And maybe the reason that I heard the music is my father was an extremely wonderful musician. Now, unfortunately, it certainly skipped a generation with his with his sons and daughters. But music was I was reared with music in our home. I was reared with music at night. There'd be gatherings in our home. There'd be jigs and reels and hornpipes being played around the place, tin whistles and accordions and spoons. So the music was obviously a kind of a gift from God for me to be bathed in music because music my soul resonated with. And it was just, it, I can never describe, there are never any words that can pinpoint exactly how beautiful, serene, how peaceful this music was. And I can still hear it sometimes when I'm having my outer body experience, when I'm, when I'm meditating, I can, I can journey back to that time, or I, not me, but I am guided back to that point when there, my life was just in total bliss. And it's a very powerful tool that I'm able to tap back into as well. Because like that, I don't, my people think because you, I might be psychic or gifted, doesn't mean that my life is easy. Far from it. In actual fact, it can be quite complicated and very, very challenging a lot of the times. So to be able to journey back through meditation, through visualization throughout a body experiences is absolutely beautiful and it's my connection to my God also. Yes, I wanted to ask you about that as well because you so beautifully described knowing this this ultimate knowing that you had that this was the light of God as you understood God. Yes. So I wanted to ask a little bit about your your idea of God prior to that. Mm. Uh, what you experienced and whether it changed afterward or confirmed what you'd known or put you on a completely different direction? I suppose, Karina, being reared Catholic doesn't know, not, not that being in the afterlife, Karina, first of all, doesn't matter whether, what religion you are. It is irrespective of religion, creed, race, age, gender, Everyone transitions to the afterlife. Now, there are different, that's another story, another question. There are different spheres, different levels. So when we go to the afterlife for for real, when it's our time to cross over, we go to the level, to the place that is matching our level of understanding and our level of consciousness. 
to match what we were like here on Earth. We don't suddenly gain a set of powerful wings or superpowers when we go to the other side. We go back, we go, we transition to the same level of understanding that we have here on Earth. But I always had a huge, a huge connection with God. And maybe that was because of my grandmother. My father was a very unique soul in the sense that he used to say to me, I don't need to be on my knees to pray to God. That time in Ireland, the rosary was uh, sacrosanct and it was must, a must. Mass on Sunday was a must. Confession on a Saturday, even as kids, was a must. But I, I grew up in a very, I suppose, open and aware environment while my mother and father were practicing Catholics. And we had to, because of school, we had to go to Mass and we had to do all the right things. But I had a different understanding of my God. So much so, Karina, that when when the nuns would talk about hell and if we lied and if we did something bold, very simple little things, that we were going to be punished by God. We were going to go to hell. And I would challenge the nuns and I would say, no, I'm sorry. Mm-mm. No, no, sister. That's not the level of understanding I have of my God. My God is a loving God. And what would happen to me, Karina? I'd be put behind the blackboard and a dunce's hat put on my head for the rest of the day. So most of my earlier childhood, I was behind the blackboard with a dunce's hat on my head because I challenged the authority. And my level, my understanding of God was always, because I could talk and converse with the higher beings, it was just heavenly. There was I knew there was a supreme intelligence that was far beyond my comprehension, far beyond the comprehension of man in itself. I was about 15 and I had this incredible, I suppose I would call it my first spiritual experience with Mother Mary. Mother Mary materialized while I was in a beautiful little grotto at the side of the old abbey where we in, in the town that we lived in. And Mother Mary I used to go in there every morning to pray, not because I wanted to pray, but to pray that there was a certain teacher that would not beat the living crap out of me, because that's what she used to do. And um, when, you, when you think about it now, how, how unjust the whole education system was in yeah. those days. Yeah. So I would pray to Mother Mary hugely always for salvation, that she, that this teacher would not touch me and that when she would ask me my questions in Gaelic, I would know them. So Mother Mary just materialized and became real while I was in the grotto. So much so, Karina, I ran out of the place. I left my school bag, left my lunch bag, left everything and just ran and met one of the, the guys that used to sit in the same class with me. And I said, would you mind going back in there and getting my school bag? I was shaken. So when he comes out, I said, did you see anything in there? Did, was there anything strong as in there? And he looked at me, no, not a thing, not nothing, nothing. So that was wow. my first experience. Yeah, <laughs> that was my first experience with Mother Mary. But she has become, she's one of my ascended masters that works with me through all my healing modalities, Karina. She is one of the most powerful ascended masters that works with me. It's her energy that comes through me. It's not mine, it's hers. It's this universal God energy that comes through me. 
And most of it is her energy when I'm working with clients. Marielle, you know what I find amazing about, well, there's a lot that I find amazing about that particular story. And I, I had, I'm so glad you shared it and I want to ask you more about it because I'd heard you reference it before in another podcast, but you didn't actually go into it. So I thought, oh, I must find out about what happened when Marielle <laughs> was 15. What did she experience? So I don't know. I'm just trying to understand how you could have had this extraordinary materialization. And please share more about who you actually, like, what did she look like? How did she appear to you? And why you think it happened? I suppose I feel very blessed. And the older I become, the older I become, the more, I suppose, grateful and appreciative I am of all the now that was my first engagement and my first encounter with Mother Mary. I've had so many, many since with Mother Mary because, she, as I said, she's one of my ascended masters that works with me. But that morning, I mean, I was just 15 years of age, but I it was a habit of mine. I would my my dad before he'd go to work would drop us all off at school, and my first when he dropped me outside the school, I would cross over the road into this old beautiful abbey that was in our town, and was this beautiful grotto that I was always drawn to, always, and I would go in and I would light candles and I would just kneel there and pray, and there was this beautiful trickle of water that used to come from. I have no idea where the water used to come from because it used to come from the top, right down, cascading down around the rocks where Mother Mary was before. And, I mean, it was up high, so even the water cascaded down when there was no rain. So it was just a beautiful, sacred space to be in. And I just loved being in her presence. There was I was drawn to her. There was a connection that I realize now was obviously... A, a, a spiritual, a soulful, a God essence that was drawn me to this grotto every single morning of my life as I went to school. And that was for five years, Karina. So when this beautiful experience happened, I, I was transfixed and it did transform me as well. But like that, Karina, I kept that secret for years and years. It was about 20 years later that I actually shared it with my mother. And then my, of course, my other siblings just burst out laughing. I did, I shared it with my mother because I know she'd understand. I shared it with my father and my father's, now there you are, he says, there you are. You have your own heaven on earth, he says to me. You know, mm -hmm. there you are now. You have your own heaven on earth. So, I mean, he didn't wonder at it. And of course he wouldn't because his, his mother was extremely psychic and gifted. And as I said, you know, that was a beautiful experience for me. But then I had a beautiful experience when I was in Lourdes with Mother Mary. I was in Lourdes with, uh, with my own mother, God bless her, before she transitioned. And we, I think, about five or six trips to Lourdes. And the minute I would go in the gates there in France, in Lourdes, it was... I was just, I would become silent. I would walk in and my voice would go. I went down to the grotto one of the night times. And I'm talking about Mother Mary a lot now, bless her, and I'm getting all excited. <laughs> but I went down to the grotto one night, very, very late one night. And the serenity and the peace I felt. But I met this amazing man called Pascal Ria. And Pascal was a scientist. 
and it's amazing what you, who we talk, who the divine places before us. And he was, uh, he worked with NASA and he had a huge scientific mind. And for months and months, he was, he was guided that he needed to go to Lourdes. So he went in his flash car. He told me what kind of car it was. It was a big fancy car. And he drove down to Lourdes and it was October, November, where it was very, very quiet. And he was guided that he needed to go in and find the grotto. And he did. And he had a huge revelation that he needed to give up his job, his wonderful job, and come and work in Lourdes. And here I am meeting this man 11, 12 years later. And his con conversations with Mother Mary have been incredible. The miracles that happened through his intervention. He said his intervention and that he would pray with them and pray with the ill child or with the sick mom. And that it's all documented and it was being prepared for the council in Rome at that stage. But he invited me, Karina. I've never told this now before. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm excited. Thank you, angels. <laughs> he, he invited me the following night to come with him. That, uh, and he would, uh, you know, place me in front of the altar. Now, I said, no, I cannot do that. These, these, these places are, they're already booked in advance for ill people. And I said, no, I, I won't sit there. I said, but I will sit further down. So when he was finished his, his uh, stewarding duties as well, he came and he sat with me. And at one stage, Rina, he held my hand. And as he was praying in his Italian accent, I knew it was Italian, even though I knew he had four languages. I knew he was asking Mother Mary to appear before me again. I knew every single thing he, he prayed for in Italian. I never, ever had a word of Italian in my life. But afterwards, I said to him, Pascal, you have petitioned the Mother Mary on my behalf for her to appear again like she did all those years ago. And he says, yes, my child, I have. And I said, I do know I don't need to see it again. And he said, yes, I've been told so. So this, I've had amazing encounters, but with Mother Mary, even then I was having surgery at another stage and I was in Lourdes. And I was told by the surgeon, it was a different type of surgery, um, that it was going to be extensive again. And he, uh, the surgeon said to me that I'd be at least 10 days in hospital afterwards. So I was in the coming into the beautiful gate, gates in Lourdes and uh, the sun was coming through the trees. And I had this peace. I had not, not told any members of my family that I had extensive surgery coming up. I told nobody, but one one person that was my new, well, not he wasn't a new husband at that time, but my husband number two. So I just said, I don't want anyone to put negative energy into it. I just, well, I know it's going to be fine. So as I was going through the gates and the sun coming through the treetops, I was, Mother Mary appeared to me as I was wheeling my mother in a wheelchair and said, everything will be fine that I will be out there in three days. I was so happy. I came back from Lourdes and in, in I went into for my surgery and my daughter who was a nurse said, now, mom, you do realize you'll be 10 days in there. Not a chance. I said, not a chance, not a chance. I'm going to be home in three days. 
And what do you think happened? I was home in three days. And did she look, when you saw her at that point in Lourdes, did she look the same as as when you'd seen her when you were a teenager? Are you seeing like a physical, what looks like a physical person or is it more of a a translucent figure? What I saw in Lourdes was more of a a translucent figure. But I I will always remember being captivated by the the her crown of stars around her head and later many years later when i when i was writing um meditations for my workshops and for my night classes and i was really guided one night to write a meditation with archangel raphael and mother mary for the to for people to be brought through their visualization to the healing temple in in Lourdes from Mother Mary and Archangel Raphael is Fatima. So there is an energy point there between Fatima and Lourdes. So I um, I would I was guided to write this meditation, and as I was writing the meditation, it was I could Mother Mary materialized before me, and I could describe her beautiful flowy dress, her the sash. That was tied up above uh, the the bus below the bus line, and the mantle of blue healing light. That's all I could see. The mantle, and it was a mantle of blue healing light. And this mantle of blue healing light, it was gifted to me to see, so that I could place it around every client, every person that would ever encounter me for healing. And then the stars. I was able to count 12 stars on her head. And I have since realized there are 12 stars, but I didn't know it at that time. So it, it's been an amazing journey with Mother Mary. And I could go on and on. I could write a book about Mother Mary, uh, Karina, in itself. And I get so excited, as you can see. It's marvelous. It's marvelous. Now, there's lots that you've just shared that I want to just go back and just ask a couple of things. So you mentioned the surgery and you, you came out after three days. So there's that. Yeah. That's another aspect of your story, that the physical healing. So I wanted to backtrack to your 1992 big NDE and just ask about how you came out of that advanced cervical cancer. It, it was miraculous. There is no doubt about it. It was miraculous because coming out of it was you know, that was only the beginning for me. It was like that was one of my biggest soul lessons. And cancer was the biggest gift. And I know somebody might say, oh, God, how could you say that? Cancer was my biggest gift to me. It was a gift because through that gift of cancer, I had to look at myself. I had to go deeply within. I for too long, I was a victim off my own circumstances I was I was a I was a victim of life and I felt that why did God do this to me and I have such faith God didn't do anything to me God does not punish <clears throat> excuse me God does not inflict a disease on somebody it we have free will when we come here on earth when we incarnate into the physical body and it's how we use that free will that determines how our health, our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual bodies will behave. So I have I learned very early on after that that my physical my physical manifestation of cancer was because I had ignored all the warning signs for years. My emotional, my mental state 
being unhappy creates an awful lot of disharmony and dis-ease eventually within the body. So when the body is, it's like the cells have a, they're a living vibration and frequency. Every cell resonates within our body with frequency and sound. And, you know, every word we speak, Karina, has, carries vibration and sound. So it's so important how we exchange our words, not alone with ourselves, but with our fellow sentient beings upon this earth. And if we speak it in loving and loving kindness and respect and honor and dignity, well, then it has a beautiful frequency running through our veins and through our cells. If we speak of ourselves in hatred and disgust and naming and shaming and blaming and, you know, anger and bitterness, well, we squeeze the life force. We squeeze the positive chi that ruminates within the cells. We squeeze that life force and the cells become choked. And that's how we get stagnation within the body. And that's how our dis-ease starts. So that is why it's so important that we honor ourselves. <clears throat> we honor our bodies. And I know sometimes we say, oh, God, my, my backside is too big. My boobs are too small. My nose is too big. My hands are too fat. You know, every word we speak has, has a consequence within our energy field. Every single word. And we're not aware of it. And I've been told that time and time again by my guides. Because I have to be pulled up on it as well, Karina. I sometimes, I, of course, I say, oh, my God, my belly is sticking out. I look six months pregnant, you know. Mm. So I am, the minute I make that statement, I am reminded to retract it, to bless my belly and bless, bless it in all its entirety, the work it continues to do for me. You know, so we have to be aware that our words carry frequency. Thank you so, so every much. Word we, yeah. Yes. For that reminder. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Now I want to just so you're you said you have a scientific background, but I just missed. Sorry, Marielle, I missed um, the the field that you were in. What was it that you specialised in as a scientist? I specialised in serology. So serology, serology, yes, serology. So it was. I mean, that would be the analysing of bloods, Ah. and and yes. So that is why I know so much. In, in relation to sound and vibration, since then I've, stu- I've studied sound and vibration and to see what vibration has with, in the blood cell, not alone that, even remove the blood cell and put in a little uh, drop of water onto a little uh, test dish and examine that. There was a great, you may have heard of Dr. Masumoto, yes. the power of water, Karina, right. Now, I... He was an amazing man because he spoke about love, love being the key in all of our healing. He had his students carry out tests over a period of some weeks where on one test dish they put the drop of water and put it under a microscope. And for days and weeks and weeks, uh, students would come in and they curse the water under the microscope. They would hate it. I hate you. You're horrible. You're disgusting. You're worthless. You're useless. The other test dish that was put under the other microscope, students would come in and say, I love you, water. I honor you. I bless you. You're powerful. Without you, I could not exist. I love you so much. So weeks later, they came in, they came back and they looked under the microscope. So what do you think they saw? 
the microscope the drop of water that had been cursed and condemned and cruel words of harshness. There was nothing but just a big black blob, nothing, blob of darkness and blackness. Going back to the dish where they honoured the water and loved the water, they all they could see was this magnificent kaleidoscope of designs like snowflakes, beautiful energy fields going through the water. It was just amazing. And don't forget, Karina, we're made up of what? 79% or 75% of water. So yes. how important is it that we speak kindly, not alone to ourselves, but to others? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is the most important thing. So you've given us a little snapshot there of some of the directions that your research went into. And in your book, Where After?, you explore so many, you, you touch on so many different areas. It's such a, a great kind of wrap up for the reader. You offer so much, so many little um, entry points for them to then go on further into yeah. their own exploration. I do love that. So tell us if you can please just uh, for the readers, oh, sorry, the listeners who haven't, who don't know much about your book, just give us please a little summary of what the, the research that you share within it, please, Marielle. Of course, I'd be delighted to, Karina. When, when my guides um, presented me with the outline of where after, I was shown uh, a pyramid. And on each angle, on each point of the pyramid was, one of them was the, the, the science model, the second was the medical model, and the third was the spiritual model. And it was these, these were, that, that was the framework that I needed to base where after on. The scientific evidence is overwhelming. The doctors, the scientists that have endorsed the afterlife. I had already about 30 years research done, Karina, before I ever wrote Where After because of my night classes and my workshops and my weekend workshops. I would have, oh, I had a lot of this information. And because of my own science background, I knew it was going to be so important for the even the toughest skeptic because even the toughest skeptic after reading her after cannot but scratch his head or her head and say, God, there is some element of truth in this. There has to be. Been all these wonderful scientists going back to, even to Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Swedenborg in the 1700s, Descartes, and all the prominent doctors and scientists that have combined their forces now to say that afterlife is not no longer a theory to be proven, but an actual fact. And then there was the, 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 the spiritual aspect of it, which is all on my own experiences with clients. The fact that I'm not alone as shaman as well, Karina, I am also a spirit midwife. And I, I would, on invitation, be invited to the bedside of somebody that's about to die. And the experiences that I have witnessed at the bedside of somebody about to make their transition is phenomenal. And it's also important, Karina, that I say during the last two years, you know, people have not been able to be with their loved ones, unfortunately. But I want to assure anybody listening out there, what I have seen, nobody dies alone. Nobody, loved ones pass the veils, the veils divide between the heaven and the earth. And loved ones come and escort the, the dying person to the other side. 
And that I have seen it with my own eyes. I've been blessed to have been such a witness. So nobody ever dies alone. Nobody makes that journey alone. Just as we come into the world, we have spirit midwives that deliver us on this side. We have our loved ones pass that bring us to the other side when our time on earth is complete, when our sacred contract is complete. Also, there was a huge thing on suicide because I work a lot with suicide. And in Ireland, there was a huge stigma many, many years ago in relation to somebody that may have ended their life through suicide. And I have been reassured by my guides and by my agents. Every soul that transitions through suicide is nurtured on the other side. When suicide happens, the person that suicides is placed in a healing it's like a healing room, a sacred space, and they are in, in this sleep state. And gradually, gradually, when their, their soul selves is restored, they're gradually awakened to the reality of their, their death. Then they're shown their life review on um, where they could have done better, where there was weaknesses in their armor of physicality or emotional or mental physicality. And what they could have done better and the opportunity is also presented to them if they wish to reincarnate <clears throat> excuse me and address the the mistakes that they may have made in this lifetime <clears throat> so that's so important i think i want to talk a little bit more though marielle please about your work as a spirit midwife and i, I absolutely love that idea and something that mm -hmm. makes it even more poignant in your case especially is that you were your own beautiful mum's spirit midwife when it was her time to transition. And you do tell that story in the book and it's very beautiful. I was wondering if you would share a little bit about what oh, happened right. when you were at your mum's bedside. It's an, do, do you know, Karina, um, it's lovely to, and thank you for asking me to share it. <clears throat> My mother would be mortified, so she would. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be mortified. She'd have a Jameson in one hand <clears throat> and a cigarette in the other. <laughs> But um, so the, the, my mom, I was looking after my mom for quite, for about four years, really. And in the latter two years, she it was becoming more difficult. And my I, I'd have to transfer my clients over to somebody else in the same genre. But my mom was terrified of dying, always had the fear of death and the spiritual name or sorry, the scientific name for the fear of death is thanatophobia. It, there is actually a scientific name for it. So my mom, and I always knew because she did not want to talk about her death, she did not want to talk about uh, what she would like afterwards. Would she like a hoolie in the kitchen, as we say in Ireland? Would she like what kind of music, what kind of prayers? No, there was never, it was a non-spoken word. You did not talk about death. And when her time came, all our family and the neighbours, I mean, we have some lovely traditions in Ireland that are still very, very strong. Her community comes together, neighbours, and it was lovely. And for my mom, she was um, she needed palliative care for the last four days. But palliative care team, when they came to my mother's house and, uh, you know, they said they put on the pump of the various... Uh, the various mix that goes into her pump. And uh, they said, it'll probably just take a few hours. Here we are three to four days later. My mom is still very, very, very strongly going ahead. But I knew there was something. 
And it was a struggle for her. It was a struggle for us as a family watching this. So I asked my family, did the mind give me some sacred space with my mother? Because I knew there was fear. I knew it was fear that was holding her back. I knew it was fear. And but I checked in with her, her soul. And I always have to ask permission of the soul of the person that's dying or the person that I might be even healing. It doesn't have to be uh, dying. So the soul permission is very, very important. And this, the soul just guided me that I needed to take on the journey to the other side. So I suppose you could call it a shared death experience as well. So I was really, and while I started the journey connecting and, and unwinding her chakra system, I was able to see she did not. And I asked God, please do not allow my mother to go through a tunnel. You know how scared she is of the dark. And she can we have something else? So this beautiful bridge was placed before us. Beautiful bridge. I was talking her through because the the hearing is is sharpened and heightened at that stage. And I held her hands and we had this beautiful journey where we we stepped onto this footbridge. And halfway on this bridge, Mother Mary was there. And I said to my mother, Mana, can you see Mother Mary? She's waiting for you. So I was allowed to go midway on that bridge. And I Mother Mary smiled at me. I smiled at her and smiled at my mom and I said, Mama, it's time to go now. You must take her hand. So I placed my mother's hand in the hand, the spiritual hand of Mother Mary. My mother looks back and I said, it's okay for you to go now. We will be fine. And then I was given the most beautiful, beautiful vision. I will never forget it either, Karina. There on the left-hand side of the bridge was my father and on the right-hand side was my young brother the most beautiful in this magnificent field of energy, of, of light, beautiful field of energy. And I said to my mother, Mama, look who's waiting for you. You need to go now. So she walked and she looked back and I said, it's okay. And I smiled and she smiled. And then the vision left. And I was back in the room with her. And three hours later, my mother rises up in bed, transfixed, with an image up, up over the, the bedroom door. And she just smiled, lay back down in bed and drew her last breath. So it was an amazing uh, wow. experience with my mother. Yes. It's very but I've moving. seen so much of that. Yes. I've seen so much of it uh, being, <coughs> excuse me, Karina, being at the bedside of so many. And it is a privilege and a most humbling experience to be a witness to this. And to be part of it because it is a sacred time and it's a sacred parting as well. Sacred, yes. It's such a beautiful, beautiful way mm. to describe these moments. It's so incredibly precious and it's such a tender image of you helping your mother there just as she brought you into the world. You helped her out of it. It's it's very, exactly. yeah. very beautiful. <clears throat> And I'd like to talk a little bit now, just changing uh, direction slightly, please, Marielle. I'd love to talk a little bit now about after-death communication. So in the book, you share such an amazing story about your father. Now, we've already been introduced to your father through the near-death experience and also the experience when you were at your at your lowest in that sad moment, how he appeared to you. Mm -hmm. And what could you please just say again and just tell us what it means, um, that beautiful phrase that he said to you? 
he said. Oh, yeah. It was so lovely. You see, he, my father had a pet name for all his daughters. And a kujin, Molly a kujin, keep your powder dry. And a kujin is a lovely term of endearment in old Gaelic. So it's like precious or, you know, love. So Molly a kujin, keep your powder dry. So keeping your powder dry meant that you know, you didn't get your powder wet or it could be no good to you. So in other words, you know, you need to think and stop and reflect and just don't don't do anything foolish. So that was his way always when things would go wrong in life. I'll keep my powder dry for now. I'll sleep out, you know. So that was his phrase. That's lovely. <laughs> That's lovely. So he actually came to you in another way as well. So I just wanted you to tell this beautiful story too. And it was one night... <laughs> when you were absolutely terrified, you had anxiety. Can you just share the story and then how your dad comforted you? And then let's talk about the deeper meaning behind the after-death communication and what Mm -hmm. it can actually do for us to to share these stories. Oh, absolutely. My father, as I said, I had a huge connection with him. We had, um, and I suppose because his grandmother was so psychic, he recognised it in me and he was... uh, you know, he was an amazing son to his mom. But my father was a very quiet, gentle giant. He was a great, a great soul, as I said, a very evolved soul. And after, I mean, you know, so many different, just because one has a death experience or, you know, when you uh, attempt to end your life, you know, life is very challenging. So just because I had maybe gone to a solicitor or a lawyer, as they would say in Australia, it it doesn't make life easier. In actual fact, the challenges start beginning then and the stress and the strain and the anxiety. And it was the first time during the middle of the night I experienced this horrendous, I didn't know what it was at the time. It was diagnosed afterwards, of course, with a panic attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. I couldn't breathe. I, there was a heaviness on my chest. It was like somebody had parked a big, big truck on my chest and I could not get, I couldn't lean forward. I couldn't get up from my pillow. I was gasping for breath. My heart was pounding. The tears were pouring down my face. And all I could think of was I had three kids down in the room and there was nobody in the house but me. And if I died, what was, what was going to happen? And I actually thought I was going to die. And as I was gasping for breath and I'm trying to ask God to help me, my father, all of a sudden, I look at the end of my bed and there is my father sitting on the bed with his arms folded. And he in this white shirt, I can describe it in detail, and the blue baby blue cardigan with the little leather buttons and his arms folded. And he said, Molly, you're all right now. I'm here. You're safe. You're okay." And then I looked at my father and uh, I said, Dada, you could do it a haircut. My father hated his haircut, Karina. He hated, he always looked, he used to look like the wild man from Borneo. He hated having his haircut for some reason. And uh, so just as I was, I, my breath came back, I started to breathe normally. And then I leaned over to switch on the light. And with that, he had disappeared. But he was as real. As, but that has happened to me many times, not just with my father, with my brother, with others who have transitioned. And um, 
the after death communication that you spoke of, it is so important for people who are grieving. And there is so many different ways that our loved ones try to connect with us. And sometimes if we are so, so, I suppose, traumatized with grief, then our loved ones can't communicate because some people have access to the spirit world very quickly. And, you know, when somebody belongs and passes over, whereas if you're so traumatized with grief, the heart center, the heart chakra is blocked. And that's where the loved one communicates heart to heart. And sometimes they leave us signs. You know, there's so many different signs. Yes. And what the signs would be significant, Karina, to the person. It could be a piece of music that you might just switch on the radio and there is that piece of music that he loved or she loved. It could be as simple as a book falling from a shelf. It could be a, a feather that might just be outside your doorway when you open it in the morning or it could be on the windowsill. It could be... It could be somebody mentioning a name of something mm. and you hear that a few times. And these are little ways that your loved ones are trying to communicate with you. They're so profound, these moments. And I know that you've had so many experiences seeing the spirit world and seeing mm. angels and all sorts of, I know that we haven't had time to talk a lot about what you saw in your childhood as well. So we're going to have to get you back on the show, I think, at some point, Marielle, <laughs> to tell us more. But what always strikes me about these experiences of the ADC, of the after-death communication, is just how powerful they are to affect our lives here in the 3D world that we are living in. So in your it, example, yeah. yes, it stopped you from taking that drastic step in your despair yes. of ending your life. It stopped you to see your father. And again, in this case, it um, it ended that panic attack. Is that right? You were able to, to so breathe. Right. Yeah. Yes. To breathe. But, not, but you know what, um, Karina, ADEs have been, you know, they 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 have been recorded and documented for thousands and thousands of years. Yes. Uh, you, like the near-death experience, after-death communication, you know, was endorsed by even Plato and Aristotle, even going back to Pythagoras in the 4th century. Uh, he was the first one to document after-death communication and who he was communicating with. He came to communicate with the great prophets and with the apostles and you know so it's not just a new phenomenon mm. but now that there is science there to delve deeper into the consciousness how it survives after death as well you know so there is so much it's like I suppose it's so important Karina for people to understand we are actually spiritual beings and then we come on earth, we incarnate on earth and we occupy a human body. So we never lose that connection to our spiritual selves or our I am presence, which is the highest aspect of our soul, which was always resides on the other side. You know, we live in we are multidimensional beings. We're far more than our senses. We are multidimensional beings, but we are limitless, limited by our thoughts and our thinking. Mm. And with the near-death experience or out-of-body experience, we transcend that limited mind and we are able to experience the other dimensions because the mind and the ego, the ego in particular, has moved out of the way. And I know that you have a real sense at the moment, Marielle, that you are very much on your mission, your sole purpose. And I must say, I'm very aligned with your mission as well. I feel that in some respects, it's 
my job to do this podcast as well, to get these stories out there. Like you, I believe so passionately in the healing power of sharing these stories. And like the stories that you share in your book, I hear back from listeners, from readers who say that where nothing will bring them solace in the aftermath of a loved one's passing, there is one little chink of light that can get in and that is listening to stories of the spirit world and of the comfort that, that is there and the hope that that brings them. So I'm very, very much with you on this mission. But tell us a little bit just about this sense of, and it's taken you 30 years, as you say, but this sense of now being the moment for you to really be living this purpose. And, you know, Karina, love, love is the key in all love never dies love is eternal so even though we miss our loved ones physical presence and even for me that has such a, an understanding and such a privileged position to be able to be a witness to what what happens when somebody is about to transition what happens afterwards the communication that we discussed afterwards but it still leaves it still leaves a pain in one's heart because the pain, it's the physical loss that we miss. So it is so important to know that the love that we felt, the love that we shared is, and, and I know somebody could say, well, what about if you didn't love them? Where do we go from here with somebody that didn't love them? I didn't really love my husband. We didn't get on. We just existed together. So that is a that is another, I suppose, um, chapter that we need to discuss at another stage that's where you can actually send love and forgiveness through the ethers you can because what you feel in your heart the power of your intention if you if and if you if somebody died suddenly as well and there was unresolved issues it's so important to know that you can still make your peace with the person on the other side because where they are now they are living in um, uh, an energy of profound omnipresent love and they are offering you the love right back onto the earth plane so that is so important to know you can still make amends from the other side you can do your forgiveness you can ask for forgiveness you can say i'm sorry or i love you or whatever you know so because. that is so important for somebody who may be feeling guilty that they're their loved one's life ended and they didn't get the chance or the opportunity. There's always there's always the chance. You can do it. The love transcends all boundaries, as you say. All boundaries, absolutely. You know, it is so important, I suppose, uh, Karina, for people to realise too that, that, you know, love is key. We can communicate. There is so many different aspects also in the book where children, how techniques of how children can be encouraged to work through their grief this was a huge thing as well that was guided to me by my guides how to how to help children navigate their the, the, the uncharted waters of grief the techniques the tools to use in a very solid profound way still allowing the children to be open and to be truthful with children to the level of understanding that they have so there are so many other different aspects and um, I've rattled on there Karina there was another part of the question you asked me there 
I it, just got carried away. No, I think it was just about why you might feel that now oh, yes. is the moment yes. for you to really be living this purpose. It, it, as you yes. say, like your NDE was back in 1992. 19, yes. And, you know, that is such a profound question because I suppose even in, in uh, when I was 15, I didn't share the experience for fear of being ridiculed and laughed at. In 1992, there was only a handful of people knew, apart from the, the surgeons that attended me and the my own doctor that would have got the report afterwards. I didn't share it because I didn't feel it would be respected enough for me to talk about the experience that I had, the place that I was in. It was so precious, so sacred, even holy, for the want of a better word. And I did not want that to be distorted by anybody's negativity and that is why I held it sacred to myself for all these years until 2018 when I was guided to write whereafter and then it was I was I've been told since by my guide that you know this is my sole purpose now but it's also a God purpose for me and it's to encourage people it doesn't matter what religion, all religions have been, were man-made to connect with God. God never intended a religion per se. His religion was supposed to be founded on amnes and love. And amnes is the highest vibration within the soul cell. So to be able to love, love is the key, irregardless of what you believe in, what religion. We're not going to be judged by our religion when we cross over to the other side. It'll be our actions. How did we show love to our fellow human beings? How, how were we in society? Did we do good things? Did we help another? Or were we so focused on making money, materialism? So it, that, that is how we will be judged and we will judge ourselves. God will not judge us. It will be ourselves that will judge our own actions and the consequence they had on another. And for me, uh, what I have been guided in even in more recent weeks you know, I've been asked, why is there so much division and divide in the world now? Why is there so much uh, unrest and upheaval? And my guides have actually said that because that God particle within each and every one of us has been dimmed and people need to find their pathway back to their God to their God cell within them. And we activate and become friends with their God cell again. And it is about using the law of discernment that we don't need to look outside ourselves for answers. We have all the answers we need within ourselves. We don't need to be cajoled by media, by press, by, you know, external factors. We need to start going back to the God cell within us that gives us every bit of information we need if we are open to receiving it. So your work is primarily intended, if I'm understanding correctly, Marielle, to guide people back to themselves and to the love that's at their own core. Absolutely. And that's, well, that's what it's beginning to look like from for me in the last few weeks and few months, where, where after is like the, um, the, the shake hands to introduce God back into people's lives. And, uh, and I mean, it doesn't matter whether you believe in Allah, Buddha, Krishna, Mecca, Great White Spirit, it's the one God that overlights this entire universe. And it's about bringing God, the God 
particle back into our lives and reactivating it and becoming friends with our own essence again. We have a beautiful spark of divinity within us. And that spark of divinity has become separated from the source of all creation. Mm. And it's about encouraging, I suppose, people just to go within again, be it through meditation, be it through mantra, be it through prayer, be it through invocation, whatever it is that resonates with each person individually. That is just wonderful. And I love how you bring in friendship into it. Uh, it reminds me of the beautiful Irish poet, John O'Donoghue. I'm sure you know his work. Oh, yeah. And he spoke so much about this friendship and the threshold and obviously that beautiful idea of Anamkara, which is the soul yes. friend, if I'm not mistaken. So I so love that. That's right. I yes. love that, yes. that terminology, how you phrase it, Ariel. That's beautiful. So I wonder, just before we begin to wrap up, if you could quickly share a little bit about your guides, you've talked about them throughout our conversation today. And I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about who they are and how you met them. Okay. Well, I suppose for at a young age, we in Ireland, of course, uh, Karina, we all have a guardian angel. And, you know, when we were going to school, the nuns, you had to rhyme off your guardian angel prayer every morning. She would rhyme it off with no, not feeling it or it would be just lip service, really. So for me, it was always like I didn't need a prayer to connect with my angel or my guardian angel. I knew I felt her. It was a her. It was a, a divine feminine energy I always felt and then as I got older and as I started to study different guides came in and one of the one of the guides as I said earlier is Mother Mary and she's one of my ascended masters that is hugely influential throughout my life but later later um, when I was in Mount Shasta studying mind body and soul an amazing guide came in by the name of Adama and Adama is one of the high priests of Telos, which was is going back thousands and thousands of years. And his purpose was to illuminate the hearts and minds of humanity into their ascension pathway. And my that's how my workshops began, because he was overlighting the workshops on spiritual awakening. So he came into my life then. Then I have Saint Germain of the Violet Flame. He, he continues to work with me always. The Violet Flame is very, very powerful. It was given back to humanity in 1987 at the Harmonic Convergence because we had lost it through greed and power. Humanity used it for a wrong purpose rather than for benefiting humankind. So the Violet Flame has come through St. Germain. So I've spread the light of St. Germain for many, many years now and um, given the mantra to people, thousands of people all over the world. So he's an incredible ambassador for the light and for transmutation and for forgiveness also. And then I have my archangel Galianiel, who, who is well before biblical times, and she has come in in the last, I would say, eight, nine years. And her journey with me is incredible. And that's where I seek the guidance now about this being my sole purpose and my God purpose. And it is through her I've been asked God's message. And it's not that I'm religious, I'm spiritual, to ask people 
to find their journey back to themselves again and make that connection so that the division, the divide, the separation is is made whole again. And people, when they do that, make that little trip into their heart center and connect with the heart of the divine. All, you know, life becomes more bearable. Sickness becomes less. Disharmony becomes less. We become more whole in ourselves again, physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually. Now, as we as we wind up, I wonder if you could reflect today on your lifetime of spiritual experiences. And is there any particular moment that stands out above the others that's very much engraved on your heart? The one would be the near-death experience. That that energy, that profound place or space that I that I was imbued in, it that will never ever leave my heart and my soul. It was even all the time I can get emotional talking about it because it was so profound, so beautiful. And as I said, that peace and serenity, that music, it has never ever left me. And I would have to say that has been the most profound experience of my existence to date of this incarnation. And it's lovely for me to be able to tap, as I said, back into that in my most stressful times that I'm able to feel it, not to the same level, but I'm able to feel that peace. I'm able to embrace that essence, that energy that coursed through my my soul self. And that will always be the most profound of all. Definitely, for whatever length of time my soul uh, continues to exist on this earth in this incarnation, that will have to be the one I would say, Karina. Thank you. And I love that you have had this amazing experience and you're not only sharing it with others in your book and also in conversations, but you're also encouraging others to tap into their own connection to the divine and therefore reap those beautiful benefits as well because there is such healing power to be found in that reconnection and that's what I'm very much drawing from your story as well, Mario. Absolutely, Karina, because, and bless everybody who is going through trauma and stress and strain and worry and bereavement and loss at this stage. And then again, there are so many different types of losses. It, you know, apart from people grieve the loss of a pet, the grieve the loss of maybe a limb, the loss of a career, the loss of money, the loss of of their home. There are so many different losses and Mm. it all great on the energy field, the human energy field. And it is so important that we, if, you know, rather than going to a doctor to be prescribed medication, and yes, I fully endorse medication is important, but we can use other tools as well, like meditation, like visualization, like yoga, like sound music, people that don't want yoga, you know, sound music is beautiful. Uh, a swim in the sea. I swim in the sea most mornings of my life. Wind, rain and hail. <laughs> and it's after, it cleans my energy and it sets me up for the day. It's very powerful, very beautiful. Find something that, that your, your soul resonates with you. Find something that you would like to do. Not everyone likes to swim. Not everyone likes to do yoga. But see what is it that you would like to do as a complement to your maybe your medication because Mm -hmm. medication only quells 
the the problem. It doesn't go to the root of it. So it's to get to the root of the problem. And we have the power to make that decision and make that choice and journey within and see what is it we're not expressing? What is it we're not able to manage emotionally or mentally? And it's amazing what will unravel as we take that inner journey as well to wholeness. Thank you. Yes, we are so multifaceted, aren't we, as human beings, as spiritual yes. beings having a human experience. So please tell us where our listeners can find your beautiful book, Where After, a very comprehensive and very entertaining read, a look at all of the different spiritual traditions and stories that you share. I, I very much enjoyed it, Marielle. Please tell us where, um, yes, where the audience can go to find Where After and to get in touch with you. Well, thank you so very much. It's been a beautiful, humbling experience, uh, Karina, to share this time with you and your listeners. Thank you. My website is www.mariellefordclark.com and all the social media platforms are from there. The Whereafter can be purchased with a sixth book, John Hunt Publishing, and all the um, Amazons globally, um, Whereafter is available. That's great. I'll include all of those links in the show notes so that it's easy for the audience to go immediately there. And I was wondering before we close today, Marielle, do you have any final words that you'd like to leave our audience with today? Oh, that's so lovely. I, I bless each and every one of you with God's infinite love and light and to know that you are never alone and ask your angels, your guides, even if you don't believe it, ask them to present themselves to you in a way that is recognizable to you. And may love, peace and light be the essence of your day, now and always. Namaste. Thank you so much. It's just been such a joy for me to speak with you today, Marielle. Thank you. Bless you, Karina. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review the show. Have an experience you'd like to share with me? Get in touch at my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Mm-hmm.